Hi, and welcome to the Expansive Podcasts. My name is Eric Kruger. Thank you for joining us. And before I even introduce my ever-elegant co-host sitting in Cape Town, I wanted to quickly from the both of us say thank you to everyone who has been leaving ratings and reviews for us uh, this morning. I happened to get onto a website to see all of the reviews across all the platforms. And we had 98 reviews and ratings with an average global score of 4.9 out of 5. Uh, we still have that one rock boss dude uh, who way back in the day gave us a 1 out of 5. But that's neither here nor there. 4.9 out of 5. And uh, scrolling through all the reviews took me about 13 seconds to do. And I, I, I had to send John a quick video of that. John, uh, how do you feel about that score? And I'd like to thank uh, my parents to uh, put me on earth. And no, no, it's, look, it's always, I think, Eric, the first thing is, is that everything that's happened post us recording our conversations has been an incredible delight and surprise. It's just, even mm. when you sent me the video this morning, I was like, no way. Are you kidding? Like so many. And then also, I mean, between Eric and I, we send each other WhatsApps of, screen grabs of people messaging Eric or messaging me on Instagram and LinkedIn and WhatsApp and Facebook, always thanking us for the podcast and always like, just like, just grateful to, to be part of it. And so it almost feels like we have this very big circle of friends and uh, we're so grateful for you giving up your time listening to us. Uh, we also listen to many podcasts, so we know it takes, you know, you've got so much choice so that when you do choose us, it doesn't go unnoticed and unappreciated. So mm. thank you for keep, uh, and, and as Eric says, his one liner always back is the gift that keeps on giving. And that's exactly what it feels like. It's a gift that keeps on giving. So thank mm. you to everybody out there. And if anybody knows who Rock Salad is, we will find <laughs> you and we will kill you. Just kidding. <laughs> Not really. Listen, um, okay. Amazing uh, start to the day aside. How's things been going for you? Yeah, Eric, I mean, I think uh, the world is starting to open up again, but cautiously. Um, it's funny because I was speaking to Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies uh, just the other day. They're starting this. Uh, I'm part of a UNESCO futures literacy program next week. And we're meeting with like 60 futurists from around the world. And we've got this three day, three hour workshop, which I'm so looking mm. forward to. But what we were saying to each other was it's weird. You know, we feel like in our profession, we were the outliers for many, many years, because I remember when I first started talking to organizations around innovation, which was about seven years ago, many organizations looked at me like I was smoking crack because they were like, what, what, what innovation? Everything's fine. We, we don't need anything new. And slowly but surely, and definitely COVID has put the spotlight on preparation for the future, unknown, mm. uncertain, and unclear where we're going. And who do you look to? the people that have been talking about this stuff for so long. So I think that the profession I'm in is, is really starting to open up and becoming part and parcel of figuring out the capabilities within organizations to be future literate. And I mm. think this is the real key here is that many CEOs around the world are not future literate. They are past literate, uh, efficiency literate, profitability literate, but not futuristically literate. And I think that the, the whole concept of understanding the future is becoming more mainstream and it needs to be because mm. it's so changing so much. So besides that and seeing it open up, my new book comes out in six weeks. And yeah. let me tell you, um, it's quite a thing running book launches that are not live 
So now what you have to do is you have to funnel sales them into an online book launch and then send them to take a lot to buy the book so that you can't sell them on. I mean, it's just, it's a brand new way to launch a book, but I'm really looking forward to it. And that starts mid-October, Future Next is coming out. So lots on the go, always mm. exciting, always, uh, always, always uh, enthusiastic about what's going on. Are you doing, uh, and how's your golf game, most important? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, um, just a quick side note to the, to the listeners. I've seen the book cover. It looks fantastic. Um, definitely your best uh, work of art yet in, in a book cover. The rest were really good, but this one, it, it blew me away when I saw it. Uh, so I'm, I'm so really looking forward coming to... from a pedantic guy like you, because you are pedantic. Yeah, So I thank know. you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, listen, dude, no, things are going very well on my side. Um, quite a bit happening this month. Uh, I'm really excited for YPO that we're getting to do uh, this week. Uh, we, yes, we're doing our first right. bit of uh, work for them on York, Thursday. Say New York, say New York, not just yeah, YPO, 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 YPO New, New York. York. Yeah, 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 it's going to be, it's going to be super cool. Yeah. Um, but really what we wanted to get into for today though, was around exhaustion mm. and something that you've been noticing in people around you and for yourself as well, perhaps, um, you want to kind of tee us up and tell us what this is all about. Sure. So I'm obviously back in Cape town and, um, just for the next three months or so, uh, until I go back uh, to Dubai, but I'm an avid cyclist, uh, not a very good one, just an avid one. Uh, people zip past me quite often with, to my dismay. But either way, um, I'm getting fitter. But what I've decided to start doing is to take this 90 minutes to two hour cycles I do a few times a week and listen to some podcasts. And um, so I've been listening to a bunch of different podcasts, but one that really enthused me, that got me so excited. In fact, I was panicking because I didn't know where I could take notes from the podcast while I was cycling. So what I was doing, I was screen grabbing the podcast, so I could know what times it was, so I could come back and write notes about it. But I listened to a podcast from a neuroscientist that just absolutely blew me away, Dr. Huberman. And the first thing he says in all of his interviews, and I've listened to a bunch of them now, is his deep, 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 deep love for animals, which immediately makes him my best friend. And dear is He's already my brother <laughs> from another mother. So before he's even said anything else, I love him. But... Um, he is a neuroscientist and has a lab at Stanford that all he does is understand how the brain works. And the level of intricacy and detail you must imagine is mm. on another scale. And that's all he does, you know? So Carol Dweck, uh, the best-selling author on, um, what's it called? The Growth Mindset, yeah. Growth Mindset, yeah. Is one of his um, professors that he works with. And he mentioned there a few times, you know? And so... What a wonderful guy. Uh, I, I highly recommend everybody goes and listens to a couple of podcasts with him after you've listened to this podcast. <laughs> podcast. Um, but one thing that really struck me is that our brains are wired for something he calls DPO. And he keeps mentioning this in all of his podcasts. And it really got me to understand a lot more about my neuroplasticity and the idea of how we can reprogram uh, and recalibrate the way our brain actually works. And I think this is absolutely essential to understand because if we understand that it's malleable, then we get the tools to make it malleable. You know, like cold water, he was saying, for example, if you stay in cold water for like 10, 15 minutes, your brain becomes more malleable. You can learn more and remember more. 
wow. he also said that, yeah, I also like, wow, okay, I didn't mm. know that. So they've done all these tests. And so that's why there's such a global movement around the Wim Hof uh, cold water movement because of this whole idea that it makes you more alert, makes you remember more, your brain works more, and you've almost overcome something very, very tough. And that's another point he keeps making is that what we do is when we feel frustrated, when we feel pain, when we feel agitated, we give up. And that's the biggest problem is because when we break through that initial mm. agitation, pain, and frustration, we actually come out on the other side with this ability to take on a whole bunch of new information. The next thing he said is that you need incredible bouts of focus. Wait, wait a minute. Yeah. What was DBO? I don't think you... I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Oh, I'm getting okay, there. okay. So he, he, I'm just telling you some of the side things he okay. was talking about that were just fascinating is because he was saying what you need to do to keep your brain elastic and malleable is have deep sessions of focus followed by deep sessions of relaxation. Mm. And you got to keep doing that. Deep focus, deep relaxation, deep focus, deep relaxation. And then one of the most important things is to sleep for seven hours or more a night. <laughs> it was but, like, if but, you don't, yeah. But what a surprise. Like we know yeah. this, you know? Yeah. But it's, 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 I always come back to the idea that there are so many basics and we just nail them. Like your life will be infinitely better. Like yeah. sleep. I mean, yeah. like you've been paying attention to your sleep now for months with your ring, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Or a ring. And I think, you know, the, the deep sessions of focus, the deep sessions of relaxation, it's, it's totally the opposite of what most people are doing where they go through their day yeah. in like a, a mild state of focus and a mild yeah. state of relaxation because we feel like yeah. we need to be always on. Yeah. And then we get home and have a glass of wine and they can't sleep well. <laughs> Look at the whole thing is broken, actually. Yeah. The whole thing's broken. Anyway, so, so I got so much out of these podcasts, but the DPO is the thing that stuck with me. And I think we're dedicating a whole podcast to Dr. Huberman and obviously DPO. So this is what he says. He says, your brain is always looking for whatever the task may be, whether it's eating a meal, going on a trip, building a business, you're always looking for the duration of this task, what's going to happen on the path during this task, and what is the expected outcome of this task. So the duration, this is going to take two months, three months, one hour, 25 minutes. What's going to happen on the path? I'm going to meet this person. I'm going to be ready for that ability. This capability is required. This is what I need. Outcome. This is what I'm looking for as an outcome to this task. Mm. Okay? DPO. So now what happens is we find ourselves in a world that is unclear, unfamiliar, and uncertain. We don't know when our borders open here in South Africa. We don't know what's going to happen to the American elections. We don't know what's going on with China. We don't know what's going on with the, the, the sort of weather issues that we're having around the world. There's just so much up in the air. There's so much uncertainty. And our brains are struggling to anchor mm. ourselves into a possible outcome of anything that we're doing yeah. because we don't have an understanding of path, uh, duration, path, and outcome. Mm. So what happens to us is we are unanchored. And because we're unanchored and our brains need anchors, we're finding ourselves with a new flavor of exhaustion. It's not the exhaustion from training too hard. It's not the exhaustion from focusing too hard. It's the exhaustion of not knowing 
what your DPO is. Mm. I don't know what my DPO is. I don't know when I'm moving out, not what, what, you know? So I, it just landed for me because what it also made me feel is this is why I feel sometimes agitated and frustrated because I just actually don't know. You know, I don't know what's going to happen with my next book launch. I don't know when I'm going back to Dubai. I don't know many of these sort of things, you know? So I just wanted to make that a point of discussion for us so that we can really unpack it for our listeners and mm. unpack it between ourselves. You know, I, I totally get it. And I remember in the early days of lockdown, how it was, I, I feel it still today, perhaps slightly less intense, but those early days, sure, that like you've just nailed it on the head and like really articulated well, that you didn't know when you were coming from stage five to stage four. Yeah. Um, you didn't know when the economy is going to like kick back into gear. Like it was just like, we didn't know when you would be back in the office, when you like, or would there be an office? Would there be an office? <laughs> and so I remember actually one of the very first thing I said, um, I think it was in lockdown leadership. It's like, you have to create artificial timelines because you don't have it in your natural world at this stage. Right. It's, right. it's, it's blown up. So I don't know if that was there anything else that came out of it from uh, like a solution point of view, apart yes. from creating an artificial timeline. Yeah. So the thing that I got out of it, I mean, he didn't say this was change your idea of success. And for me, it was, takes more breaks. And somebody said to me the other day, I don't know if it was you or somebody else says, how was your day? And I said, it was really amazing, you know? And they said, but why? And I said, I finalized the cover of my book. I got the blurb right for why we're using David on the cover. I got, I got these small bits of, of wins. I didn't make any sales. Mm. I didn't engage with any new clients. I didn't deliver a talk. But the way I was measuring my day's success was based on these not artificial goals, but a different set of goals. Mm. So that it, it doesn't, I mean, I think artificial has a sense to it that like just make them up. No, look, if you, if you went for a longer walk than usual, congratulate yourself and understand that in a time of uncertainty, the smaller ways that we are able to celebrate the small wins is really the answer to it. And it's just changed your ability or my ability to stay happy and to mm. stay good rather than always waiting for that big audacious goal to kick before you're able to give yourself the ability to celebrate. You know, I think um, something that, that also then pops for me is that you just have to anchor yourself and you have to find the things that anchor you. Um, and for me, like, so the past two weeks I've actually, I'm anchored is like a good way of explaining it. Like I felt a bit frazzled to be honest. And yesterday uh, was the first day that I said, okay, there are three things that I want to do. I want to exercise. I want to do my reflections and I want to do my meditations. And I, I literally got to the end of the day feeling great about the day just because I felt more anchored going through my day. And I was, I felt more in control of my state of mind and my energy levels. And, you know, it's, it's, I can't recommend meditation enough when it comes to these things because the way it sets your mind for the day is just phenomenal. And like the way that you approach every challenge in your day, just it just changes it all. But I think finding the things that anchor you are really important there. What anchors you? You know what's so funny, Eric? Yesterday, I also had a big talk to myself. <laughs> I sat myself down and I said, listen, boy, let me tell you what's going on here. Uh, I wrote down a whole series of things yesterday. I can't believe it did that as well. 
So I was like, no, 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 no. This is no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not playing this game anymore. Um, you know what it is? I think Cape Town's a very big comfort zone for me. And I get mm. caught up in my comfort zone in Cape Town. And this is the reason I left Cape Town is because I've just I've created such an incredible life for myself. Yeah, it's just, I'm not challenged anywhere, you know? Mm. So um, <laughs> that's amazing that you did that yesterday. So that's great. So the second part of what I wanted to chat today about, and maybe you want to tee it up with that Simon Sinek quote and um, tell us what you think about it. And then let's unpack that. And, and, and this is linked to my masterclass called Future Superhumans around the 10 subjects we should be teaching our kids. But one of them really stood out for me and it actually incorporates the quote that you're going to give now. Yeah, so I read this a while ago where he said, um, working hard for something we don't care about is called stress and working hard for something we love is called passion. And when I initially heard that, um, it just didn't sit well for me because I think that I'm mostly doing what I love. Like I, I get to speak and write for a living. How phenomenal is that? But there are still many times that what I do still causes stress for me. Like whether it's like uh, income goals that you are trying to hit or whether it's a, a big talk that you're preparing for, there's still stress that comes with that. Um, so I don't know what your, what your thinking is regarding that. Yeah, well, look, I think good stress is good. You know, good stress is excellent. Yeah. And again, this is yeah. what Dr. Huberman was saying is that you mustn't avoid stress. You must be enjoying it, but you don't sit in traffic for an hour every morning. You don't have a boss that determines what your mood is. You don't have a job that has no opportunity for you to grow in. You're not determined what you're going to earn based on a salary you have to earn. And then your kid's school fees goes up. I think there's layers of stress and there's angst and frustration. And then there's passion-led stress, which I think is important because those are the ways you grow. You know, every time I write mm. a book, it's a flippant, stressful situation because I just don't know if I'm saying the right thing, not saying the right thing and rereading and rereading. So yes, of course, they're stressful. But mm. here's the thing about this idea that we want to talk about around exhaustion is that there's two types of exhaustion, right? There's exhaustion, um, uh, exhilarated and exhausted and exhilarated. And Okay, so sorry, I was just trying to get my head right. You can get exhausted and fatigued and you can get exhausted and exhilarated. So those two things are very, very different. You get to the end of the day, you're exhausted but exhilarated because you've been doing everything you love, but you're still exhausted. Oh, mm. you can get to the end of the day and be exhausted and fatigued, which means that you hated everything you did and you're tired, which means now you need to drink a bottle of wine, which mm. is just the worst thing you could do because it just keeps that cycle going. Mm. So how do you come out of this? You know, and one of the subjects that I'm, 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 that I'm recommending people teach their children is passion. And it's very difficult to teach passion because how do you teach somebody passion? But if you break down passion, you start to realize that passion is discovered through exposure. And so if you're not exposing yourself to different things in your life, how do you ever know whether you're passionate about it or not? So I was listening to a podcast this morning with Jay Chetty, which I was telling you about offline. And in his new book, he was talking about you have eight days a month to try something new to figure out if you're passionate about it or not. They call the weekends. <laughs> and so sit out and say, okay, on a Saturday, I'm going to do something I've never done before for an hour. And just to see like what happens. Do mm. I like it? Don't I like it? And then on a Sunday, try it again, whether it's gardening, whether it's surfing, whether it's Wim Hofing, whatever, whatever you want to do. So I think it's this exposure to what makes us passionate that changes our exhaustion and our, our idea of tiredness 
and stress to one that's always got a broad stroke of exhilaration to it, you know? Mm. So like you and I get to the end of the week, we're not, we're not uh, energized, we're tired, we're exhausted, but yes, we achieved X, Y, and Z. Okay, we're happy, yeah. we want to stay closer, et cetera, et cetera. You know, um, an, an additional benefit, I think, of taking that approach, like the eight days a month approach, is that you also just become a more interesting person, like that has, you know, more knowledge and a, a bigger understanding of what's happening around you. And you've, you know, you have more stories to tell, even if the story is just, I tried this and like, I, I realized it wasn't for me. And who knows what you learn from that. But what I actually wanted to ask you is, you know, you've had a, um, like an interesting career, right? Because you didn't like speaking and, and writing. Those weren't things that you started off with. Was your passion, like, so when you were running your restaurants and that was your, like your big thing, was your passion different back then to what it is today? Or is there a golden thread that ties it all together? Or when did you discover your passion? I think the passion of people was always there. Okay. okay. Um, the way I brought about engaging with as many people as possible was in restaurants because I was good at it. I was, I was good with my staff. I was good with the customers. And I really enjoyed that. But really, my passion was around not being poor. That was my biggest passion, right? <laughs> um, and I say exactly not being poor, not rich, because I went poor again. But now, I think what happened was when I got divorced when I was 40, I went through my midlife passage. And I call it a passage because I chose this change in my life. If I, if I was in a midlife crisis, I would still be measuring my success formula based on my life pre-40. That's what a crisis is. That's why you get men with uh, Ferraris and 20-year-old girlfriends because their way they're measuring success is still based on what they thought success was pre-40. Post-40, definitely as a man, you are able now to redesign what you think success looks like. And that means you've now reached your purpose and you're now moving in your passage. And so really was at 40 when I was... I got divorced and my life shattered around me. And I just really got down to the asking myself the question is, what do I love doing? Like, what is it that I just want to do for the rest of my life? And it was like, I'm so good at speaking and it just comes so naturally to me. Let me just do that. And, you know, you and I laugh. But I was even laughing with my business manager, Anita. Um, no, no, it was with you. It was with you. We were, we were putting together a proposal and we'd finished with it. And I was like, was it supposed to be that easy? <laughs> like, well, that was so easy. And it's a big paying job, but it's easy because we've spent so many years so dedicated to this task that it becomes easy, you know? So mm. yeah, it only happened at 40. When did it happen for you? Because you also didn't start off doing this. You know, yeah, I mean, I think the same thing. I, I realized um, someone asked me yesterday during one of my Think Week sessions, uh, like, how, what, how did you end up where you are today? I said to them, I realized recently that I'm the son of a pastor, the son of a preacher and a psychologist. And so actually, like, I'm the perfect middle ground. Like, that's, it was kind of, it was determined for me to be what I'm doing, what I'm doing today. Wow. Um, but from, like, my early days, I mean, that's why I went into physio in the first place. So I was, always wanted to help people. And I realized for a long time it was helping them physically to get moving. And these days it's more about how do I, how do I help them to get moving emotionally and mentally. So it's the same thing, just different, different yeah. ways of applying it. Um, but I think I've always loved being in front of people. I, like in, when I was in Santa 2, um, I put on a play as Sherlock Holmes. And wow. I remember I put it on my class and I had like the pipe and my, my dad's um, big like, uh, what do you call it? Like nightgown and the whole thing, like a big hat. 
yeah. did this play and then the teacher was so impressed. She carved me around the entire school doing it for every single class. And I loved it. I thrived in it. Yeah. And then I got to university and uh, there were women around and I didn't want to look like a fool standing in front of them, speaking in front of the entire class. So I stopped so doing stopped, that. Uh, yes. Uh, so, and then I rediscovered it through Better Man. But I think, you know, what, you, what you're saying, just to come back to like the, the exposure idea, is that that's the only way you discover what you are passionate about. And I don't think being passionate or discovering your passion should be a goal that gives you anxiety as well, because that, you know, it gets preached so often that like find your purpose, find your passion, pursue it, follow, follow. And like, if you don't have it, you feel shit, like what's wrong with me. I need to be doing something here that, you know, is, is moving me in the wrong direction. And I think you need to ease into it. You need to relax into it and give yourself the time to discover these things for yourself. Like it'll come when the time is right. As long as you are doing the things that are moving you towards it, that helps you to explore and to discover. Yeah, well said. And I, and I think the thing is, is if you've even tried something and you didn't like it, that's a win. Mm. That's a win. You know, don't think, well, I still haven't found my passion. No, no. You now know that that isn't your passion. So well done. And let's keep moving. So I think it's about redesigning these success factors. And mm. uh, I think they really help to have these micro success factors throughout your day. So you can end your day, your week, your month, and your life exhausted, but exhilarated. Mm. Thank you, Eric. Thank you so much. Uh, This was really great. And uh, I just want to leave you with one thing. Like this anchored idea, I think has really hit home for me today. And I love because you always say anchor yourself into your future and not into your past. Yes. I think that's great. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Ciao. Bye, bro.